This is Michael Welch for the Global Research News Hour. Uh, many people working in media say the, the Russian operation against Ukraine is not working out as they had hoped. They're bogged down outside of cities, soon to engage larger numbers of people resisting. It's said the Russians may resort to chemical or biological weapons at some point though these are typical arguments by the United States who, who once warned of the smoking gun in, in Iraq turning out to be a mushroom cloud uh, over the weapons of mass destruction uh, scenario. But bring us, bringing us, um, we're gonna bring you now a qualified but different analysis uh, of the military situation by one Scott Ritter. He is a US Marine Corps intelligence officer, former chief UN weapons inspector from 1991 to 1998, and currently engaged as a commentator on and columnist on the Huffington Post, Coast Consortium News, and the American Conservative. He joins us from Del Mar, New York. Thanks for joining us, uh, Scott. Well, thanks for having me. Now, uh, the last time you were on the show, about a month before Russia authorized a military incursion into Ukraine, you mentioned that if it did happen, it would not be trying to occupy the country. It would be, in your words, lancing the boil, an attempt to demilitarize and destroy Ukraine as a modern nation state. It seems, based on mainstream media coverage, that it is, in fact, trying to occupy the country. Millions of Ukrainians are literally leaving the country as we speak. And this is not an operation that would end in days. It's, it's now approaching a month. Several Russian soldiers have been killed. They seem to be bogged down outside of cities. Uh, certainly NATO is not yet going to engage them, it's true, but Russia isn't succeeding, uh, no doubt due in part, it seems, to the resistance of Ukrainian soldiers. So let me ask you, if, if you've changed your mind about what you said, uh, two months ago? I mean, did you err in your assessment of, of the Rus Russian logistics of the situation? No, I'm 100% correct. I mean, the, the fact of the matter is Russia isn't occupying Ukraine. Ukraine is a nation of uh, 41 million people. Now, they say 10 million of those are displaced, uh, some internally, some have fled. That still leaves 30 million people um, occupying you know, expansive areas of uh, terrain, including uh, cities such as Kiev, where you have over 3 million people. Russia came in with 200,000 troops. Now, military math just simply <laughs> says, no, <laughs> you're not occupying Ukraine with 200,000 troops. Um, so let's just stop that kind of nonsense right off the bat. Um, you know, there, this is politicized rhetoric when people say that Russia is trying to, because what you've done now is create a straw man that then says, therefore, Russia has failed in its objectives. Russia is succeeding wildly in its objectives. Now, I don't have to speculate. Russia has stated what its objectives are. There are two military objectives that will lead to one political objective. The first military objective is denazification. That is the absolute destruction, liquidation, annihilation of the neo-Nazi and ultra-right-wing nationalist military formations and the political parties that sustain them, along with any legislation that empowers them. For instance, legislation passed in January of 2021, which uh, made Stepan Bandera a, um, you know, a, a right-wing, uh, Nazi-supporting, Jew-killing, um, you know, Ukrainian nationalist, elevated him to the, to the status of national hero. 
uh, and and then went around. Uh, they passed additional legislation, which um, named streets after him, named boulevards, named places, raised monuments, and then also uh, brought back into you know the mainstream uh, people of his ilk, um, Nazis, people who uh, had enlisted and served in um, Waffen SS units during World War II, people had served in. Um, yeah, Einsatzgruppen that uh, killed Jews during World War II. These people are now rehabilitated uh, and their names are put up in places of honor. Um, the Russians want to eliminate this. They want legislation passed in Ukraine, which delegitimizes Nazis instead of praising Nazis. Uh, the Russians are doing very well on this front. Um, they're in the process of um, finishing off the last uh, Nazi defenders of the city of Mariupol. Uh, this is where the Azov Battalion, now a regiment, um, it was it was headquartered. These are right-wing neo-Nazi extremists, um, many of whom have swastikas and other Nazi symbols tattooed on their bodies. Um, this, is, this is where they tormented the Russian-speaking population for the past eight years. Um, they are now in the process of being killed or captured by the Russians. That is what denazification looks like. Similar denazification uh, processes are taking place elsewhere in Ukraine, anywhere where the Russian forces find a, um, a neo-Nazi uh, you know, national unit of the Ukrainian army. Um, so anybody who thinks that the Nazis are doing well against, uh, against the Russians, think again. The second is demilitarization. This means that Russia is going to dismantle the NATO army that had been built in Ukraine. A lot of people don't realize that there were 260,000 active duty Ukrainian military personnel, most of whom had been trained by NATO in the past eight years to NATO standards. That means that Russia or the Ukrainian military units were interoperable with the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. You could take a battalion of NATO trained Ukrainian troops and place them under NATO command and they would perform well. This isn't theory, this is reality. Ukrainian troops participated in numerous NATO-led operations around the world and in Europe. So Russia has said that this, the existence of a NATO proxy force is unacceptable and that its goal is to demilitarize Ukraine. Now, this could be done peacefully with Ukrainian soldiers staying in their barracks, while the Russians dismantled and removed from Ukraine all NATO-provided equipment um, and oversaw the reorganization of the Ukrainian military in a manner which did which made it no longer a de facto proxy of NATO, or if they wanted to resist, Russia would destroy them. Now, Russia came in a little soft-handed early on. They didn't bomb the barracks. They went out of their way to avoid um, unnecessary deaths among the Ukrainian uh, troops. But the Ukrainians decided to fight. And let's let's be clear here. This is a big army, 260,000 active duty, 310,000 reservists and security forces. Um, normally in the military, if you want to launch an offensive operation, you want a three to one advantage. That is for every single defender, you want three of your own troops. Russia went into Ukraine with a three to one disadvantage, meaning for every single Russian, there were three Ukrainians. And yet Russia is winning on the battle, on the battlefield. They are advancing at a rate faster than the German army advanced during the Blitzkrieg of World War II. 
They are engaging the Ukrainian forces on large-scale combat operations, the likes of which have not been seen in Europe since World War II, and they are prevailing. They are in the process of entrapping 60 to 100,000 Ukrainian troops in eastern Ukraine, one of the largest double envelopment cauldron-type operations seen since World War II. They are doing the same around Kiev, and they are doing the same in the area of Odessa. A lot of people look at um, videotapes that have been put out on YouTube and elsewhere showing uh, destroyed Russian columns, dead Russian troops. This is war on a scale that people can't imagine. It's well beyond anything the United States and its allies undertook in Iraq and Afghanistan. When you have war on this level, there will be tactical setbacks. The Ukrainians, who are extremely hard-fighting, well-trained, well-equipped troops, are capable of limited combat success, and they are enjoying limited combat success on the battlefield. There is multiple occasions where they have defeated the Russians, where they have inflicted serious casualties on the Russians. But from an operational and strategic standpoint, the Russians are winning and winning decisively. The Ukrainians cannot sustain their defense. They lack the logistical um, uh, depth They've, they're running out of gas, they're running out of ammunition, they're running out of food and water. Uh, their troops are worn out, worn down, and are rapidly disintegrating as we speak. As we speak, the Ukrainian defenses in eastern uh, Ukraine are collapsing. They're starting a panicked retreat westward. They're going to be cut off by the Russians and probably killed by the Russians if they don't surrender to the Russians. So, no, the Russians are doing quite well. People Would you saying, say that the Russians, I mean, are they, I mean, put on your military and analyst glasses for a moment. And did you say, I mean, is Russia going to prevail and, and how far away is the, the victory? Is it, is it weeks away or? or? Well, Ru Ru Russia will prevail. And I believe that Russia is closer to victory than they were, than they were starting this conflict, meaning that the Ukrainian military is collapsing as we speak. Um, and the, the ability for Ukraine to sustain large scale uh, resistance um, is 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 diminishing, if not being eliminated. Uh, this 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 war is over. It's all over, but the shouting. Um, that's if, just if a, that's just a statement of fact. If you're right about this, and 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 then then what what do you make of the role of Zelensky in this situation? Because he's been speaking to governments around the world, and and he's a national hero and everything. But but does he think that this can still be that he can still win this uh, if? if the forces will, you know, close the sky and, and uh, all, all the other things, or is there something more going on? And uh, you know, in terms of seeing the writing on the wall, as it were. Well, Zelensky knows what the outcome of this will be. Um, you know, think about it for a second. Every time he says, "If you just close the skies, if you just give us a no-fly zone, we can win." But what's he really saying? That the Russians are winning the war. Okay, I mean, there's no other way of interpreting that. Yeah, He's not saying, hey, don't worry about uh, not closing the skies because we're doing pretty well on the battlefield. We're going to win this thing. He's so saying he's, that if yeah. you don't close the skies, we have lost this war. Ah, okay. And that's exactly what's happening because NATO isn't going to close the skies and Ukraine is losing the war. Hmm. He knows this. His generals know this. His troops know this. This is why at every single chance, everybody involved in the Ukrainian resistance is demanding a no-fly zone because without this, they're doomed and they know it. Hmm. What, what about the sanctions aspect of it? I mean, will they 
will they, are they going to wear down the Russian public uh, over time or, or, or will the boomerang effect of the sanctions wear down the US, Canada and, and the EU first? I mean, how, how do you see that the, the, the sanctions aspect playing out? Well, let's, let's look at this strategically for a second. Um, Joe Biden looked Vladimir Putin in the eye last June and threatened him with massive sanctions should he act on Ukraine. Sanctions like you've never seen before. All right, now, Putin, I'm, as soon as he got done changing his pants and everything, because I'm sure that just scared him to death, uh, he had months to sit down with his inner circle and say, how do we prepare for this? Nothing the US and its allies are doing has taken the Russians by surprise. Nothing. They anticipated everything. And they have a plan in response. Just for instance, today, you know, when, when, when the sanctions came out, remember Russia had like $650 billion in uh, sovereign fund and reserves, foreign reserves, gold reserves. And half of that was uh, dispersed in banks around the world. And people went, why would you do that? Because the West is going to freeze them, which the West did. And the answer is, because Russia was setting the West up for a trap, which was sprung today. Today, Vladimir Putin gave a speech in which he said the following, because you froze our assets illegally, you have defaulted on every obligation you have in regard to Russia. Therefore, Russia will not only never again accept foreign currency in, in, you know, for payment of Russian services or goods, we are going to demand from this moment on that all nations that are not on the that are on the non-friendly list, that is everybody who sanctioned them, must now pay in Russian rubles for natural gas. Okay, Europe cannot survive. One of the big things that came out of this economic sanctions was that the United States had been promising Europe, don't worry about Russian gas. We have a plan B we will be able to bring together resources and make sure that you have the gas you need. Well, there is no plan B. There aren't the resources available. There's not enough gas and Europe, it will shut down immediately. Now, Russia hasn't shut off the pipelines because Russia was laying a trap. Russia now has confirmed that Europe is addicted. Germany has admitted right now that if Russia turns off the gas pipelines, Germany won't have any gas for next winter. It's over. All she wrote, their economy will collapse. The French economy will collapse. Every economy in Europe will collapse. And there will be a rebounding effect in Canada and the United States. So now Europe's in the difficult position of if they want to keep the gas going, that they must keep going in order to survive, they got to pay in Russian rubles. And take a look at what's happened to the Russian ruble just today. It's rebounding. Everybody said the ruble was collapsing. No, it's the dollar that's collapsing right now because the Russians have laid a trap. They set the trap. And this is just the first of many. The Russians have many other traps out there that they have set and they can uh, initiate at a time of their choosing. So, uh, you know, the, the, the notion that the sanctions, look, the sanctions are hurting Russians right now. There's no doubt about that. But the sanctions also liberated Putin for the first time since he took power to be able to divorce Russia from the Western economy. And in doing so, eliminate in totality 
any leverage the West had over Russian um, uh, domestic political affairs. The West used to be able to threaten sanctions. And the Russians would say, gosh, we maybe we don't want to do that. So well, the West, no longer has the West has sanctioned everything. It's over. And Russia, Putin has said, thank you very much. Thank you. You've done me a big favor. The first thing you've done by freezing all the assets is that you have disemboweled the oligarchs. You know, that corrupt class of Russian businessmen that came to life during Boris Yeltsin's tenure as president that uh, Putin inherited. Putin was able to um, neuter them politically by telling them that if they get involved in domestic politics, he will destroy them. And he did. Several of them have been forced to flee to uh, London and elsewhere because uh, Putin would put them in jail for life. <clears throat> the others that remained were able to retain their riches and continue to get rich, but uh, they weren't allowed to be involved in politics. But their existence has always been a thorn in Putin's side. He doesn't like them. He doesn't want them. And he hates the fact that he needed them. But now that the West has gone in and seized all their assets, they're bankrupt and broke. And guess what? Putin doesn't want them now. He's told them to get the heck out of Russia. He has no use for them. Go live where you wanted to live over there. You're no longer welcome here. The other thing that's happened is about 20% of the Russian population that was relatively apolitical, uh, who tended to vote uh, for the status quo, meaning vote for Putin, um, would have turned on Putin had Putin initiated a divorce with the West. This, these are the Russian middle class whose economic well-being had become so intertwined with the West that there could be no thought of breaking with the West. And any move by Russia, by Putin, by anybody to do so would have uh, caused a backlash that in a democracy, and Russia is a democracy, uh, would have cost the incumbent the vote. Putin would have been voted out. But now that the West has sanctioned Russia, it's not Putin that has made the divorce, it's the West. And Putin now mm -hmm. is applying shock therapy to these, these people, uh, seeking to rapidly reinstate their middle-class status by pivoting eastward to China, to India, to elsewhere, uh, to recapitalize the Russian economy. And now that he has made gas based upon the ruble standard, those rubles that these Russians had in the bank that were that last week were worth nothing, they're worth twice as much today. And this time next week, they'll double in value again. And the middle class is going to forget the West ever existed. Amazing analysis, Scott Ritter. Uh, it's been a pleasure hearing your unique take on the situation. We thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me. You've been speaking with U.S. Marine Corps intelligence officer and analyst Scott Ritter, who joins us from Delmar, New York.